Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Jeff Fedoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, Kansas City star sports columnist Vahe Gregorian joins former Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valero and myself. Vahe, thanks so much uh, for joining us here. You know, I, I was wondering, you know Andy Reid so well, probably covered him. You've covered him since his Missouri days. You know, a, a storyline from the Super Bowl loss of having what happened with his son and the tragedy, you know, it, it, it seemed to – a lot of people question the Chiefs coaching in that game, and a lot of people think maybe it affected them. Do you think that was the case? And do you think, just given your insight into Coach Reed, that uh, that might be some – you know, are, are there lingering effects even going in into this year? I, I know we're going real deep to start off, but that's, that's how we roll at, at Believe in Chiefs. Well, first of all, it's it's great to be with you guys. And, you know, it's a question we've all pondered a lot. I mean, you couldn't couldn't think that game was held in a vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that that was a tumultuous, uh, heartbreaking, you know, piercing thing on on so many levels and complicated levels, too. So a thought I had – right after the game and, and it showed up in Andy's response and it, it's sort of how I've processed it since a- Andy, there's no way Andy could speak directly to that in my mind, because the nature of the tragedy was such that it, it was, you know, related to his son related to the, 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 the real fallout was this, the family, this, this girl and this, this poor family. They could in no way allude to saying, oh, this was a distraction, right? Think how demeaning that is um, and how insensitive that would be. Andy, I think, did the best job he could to describe it as our hearts all go out to the family. Um, I recognize that some people wish he could have said more, but I'm sure there were probably legal reasons that he probably pushed the envelope on what he could say. Um, because that is the kind of person Andy is. And in a way, though, I'm saying all that and kind of not answering the heart of the question. I do believe that there was some fallout from it. I just don't know how it would be, how it would not be. I I think, remember how players feel about Andy, for one thing. There's no way they they weren't alert to the situation. No way they didn't have some, some kind of feeling, right? Some kind of empathy. Uh, and, and look, the, the Chiefs got clobbered, and maybe they don't win the game. Most likely they don't win the game without that event happening. I'd say that's true. I think the breakdown on the line was pretty crucial. But it, it, it seems like if you're just thinking logically, there probably was some connection to the, the tone of the Chiefs play in that game. 
That's great. That's a great, that's a great word. Yeah, that's a great word. Sorry to interrupt you, Jeff. That's a great word, tone. You know, it's not, not so, yeah, tone. Because I, Jeff and I have talked about this by about, you know, how much did it affect, you know, the, the, the strategy, the play, you know, the play calling, but really tone is, is probably the best way to describe it in a word that I wish, I wish we would have thought of earlier, Jeff, um, you know, uh, not to, not to laugh or make light of what the situation was, but you're right. The word tone is something that, that we probably a word we didn't use. And, and that really encapsulates it really well and very insightful. Well, one, one reason that came to mind, Joe and, and Jeff is just that, um, you know, it was rather impressed upon us, and Joe, you would know this from experience. I, I mean, the hay's kind of in the barn by by Thursday, in terms yeah. of mechanisms. You know, game plans in. Yeah. The mechanisms for for whatever they're going to do are are hardwired. Obviously, the 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 thing that would play into the deviations from that is the human touch, right? I mean, it's it's. The, whether you call it the alertness, the, the energy, the focus, all those things, that's the X, those are the X factors that animate the game plan. Yeah. So again, hard to know where one thing began and another ended or started, but uh, somewhere there's, there's something psychological about it. I just, I, I can't, I can't think otherwise. Yeah. And so speaking of psychological tone, all those other things, I mean, we're heading into several weeks from the season start. Now, you know, the chiefs are dealing with the whole Frank Clark yeah. situation, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's another thing that man, by like Jeff and I always say about this podcast, we, you know, it's one thing to do something that is, is team related during the season, right? Or either like right before or right after, because you're still fresh on things. We have not been without, stuff to talk about, you know, whether it's yeah. been the, 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 the interesting off season the chiefs have had from a, an acquisition perspective, how they've completely changed their philosophy from, you know, less of the run it back thing where you're bringing 21 of the 22 starters back, you know, and more of a, Hey, we're going to reload and we're going to find different positions. There has been a lot to talk about. And this, you know, this latest incident has really added one more thing because, and I, and then I'll shut up and let you talk is we have said, several times on our pod that we felt like they built this defense this year, this offseason around Frank Clark, like maybe not in so many words, but in, in essence, we felt like it's really been the key part of how yeah, they brought Spagnola has restructured this defense. Right. They brought in his former teammate, Jared and Reed from the Seahawks. They still have Taco Charlton is who was his close friend from his Michigan days. Yeah. What do you think is, what, what's your kind of perspective? What, what do you think is, is going to happen uh, going forward with Clark's playing situation? Well, one thing we've kind of talked about around here is, and, and correct me or, or override me if you feel like this is wrong, I, whatever we've seen in these episodes with Frank Clark, there, there still remains an element of mystery to what, what the heck exactly is going on. And more importantly, uh, what is the context in his life, right? I mean, what, what, I don't think we have a firm understanding of what's going on with Frank Clark uh, from these things. I'm not saying there's not plenty to wonder and plenty to be concerned about, but I think there's some gaps that uh, I'd like to fill in better before I have a sense of, well, boy, what this is a, this is bigger trouble or I'm not saying it is or isn't, but I just feel like there's more to be understood. But one of the things we've talked about 
here with colleagues at the Star, and it's come to be my feeling is part of the off-field, um, you know, uh, episodes, incidents. It it, it makes it forces you to think about what he means to the team, and it forces you to. It, it's made me anyway think about well. How has he been performing for this team, and what what is his role on this on this team? Right, it's because all teams go through the kind of matrix of risk reward, what's worth it, what's not. And my take is that you know he has been big in a lot of big games, and you can make a case that that's that's what he was here for. On the other hand, um, he's not been as productive as he was in Seattle for a variety of reasons, some injuries, some emphasis of defense of offenses. Um, I can tell you, I don't think he's been the dominant presence that I thought he would be. And I don't know that that factors into what's going to happen right now, but I do wonder as the chiefs consider their future and, and how they're going to spend their money and, you know, how you keep building around Patrick Mahomes at all times in every way, you know, what that means later. I, I, I think that's, that's how I see it. it. It's still a TBA, I think, on what it all means, but I, I just think that it, it all goes into that, that blender. Totally. Uh, and, and a great point, too, of what his, his value might mean with, with that contract and, and also, you know, they can get out from that big expensive contract with many exp- other expensive contracts like Mahomes, trying to re-sign Orlando Brown uh, coming up. We're going to have more on this and more on the Chiefs, and we're going to delve into Penn football too. But first, a word from our sponsor. July is underway and a great month for sports. If you're into sports betting, bet online is where you can find it. From the NBA and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures. Bet online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Well, for um, for the listeners out there who, who can't see, Joe is in front of a Franklin Field background. Uh, Vahe Gregorian of the Kansas City Star, who is with us, is wearing a hat that says the Swarth Morian, I'm, I'm trying to suck up with him with my pen hat. So <laughs> to delve a little bit into pen football. We're, we're with two former pen football players. I'm curious, how connected do you got, how much do you guys still follow the program, go to games? I, I know obviously this past year there weren't any Ivy League games, but, but yeah, if you guys could just talk about that. Well, I, I, I'll go first just since uh, I, I'm a little further out in a couple ways than Joe. Um, but I, it, if I had my way, I'd, I'd get there once a year. It, in some years, I can. Um, I have I have not checked Penn's schedule for September, but the Chiefs have a uh, a game at the Eagles this year. And if it if it turns out getting in a day early will get me to a, a Quaker game, I'll 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 do it. Um, and I'm sure this is true for Joe too. But I'll just speak for myself. I I certainly remain um, quite bonded, if that's the right word, with a, a number of friends from my days there. And I've probably told this story before on this very uh, podcast, but, you know, I didn't get to play much. And uh, the famous words of Coach Burnt 
when I was um, senior year, thought I had a pretty good camp, and he pulled me pulled me aside and said, Vahe, I'd love to play you, but you're you're not fast enough for your size, and you're not big enough for your speed." And uh, <laughs> but that ended up being a, a, a wonderful year. It it was after zero and nine, one and nine, and one and nine, and this was the first of a bunch of Ivy League championships. And uh, never mind that it was a three-way tie in an eight-team league. I, I we felt. Uh, really close and still feel really close and things come coming up now like uh, there's been a, a series of uh, uh, Joe I don't know if you've been on these but there have been some sort of little speaker series things that, that show up now and then I've tried to get on a couple oh Kevin's the fan yeah the Kevin's yeah. the, the yeah. coach's corner I, there was I, fantastic it, I wanted to be on there Kevin uh, I, I had a good conversation with Kevin last year but um, <laughs> during the call with Kevin it was a media call and I felt the need somewhere in there to just let him know that I had some Quaker blood. And I just, as I asked the question I was going to ask him, it was something about when he first started working for Andy up at training camp. I, I told him, Hey, and by the way, I need to tell you, I, you know, grew up in Swarthmore, went to Penn and he took it in for a minute and, and, you know, was, was uh, polite with the answer and good with the answer. But at the end of the call was the payoff where he, he finished the call by just going, go Quakers. Yeah. Um, so all these things, that's, that's a, a really overdone stream of consciousness, but I just wanted to get out a few things before yeah. I forgot them. Well, you know, it's, it's one, one of the things that we do, and, and no offense in, or trying to be like genderist or anything, but one of the things, because all, all the, you know, the football players at Penn so far have been male. So, you know, one of the things that we do promote is the brotherhood, right? And, and we have a, an email distribution list, Jeff, that, keeps us all connected. Um, I'm actually very fortunate and very honored to be a part of the Penn football advisory board. So, you know, I've been on, I've been doing that for gosh, almost, almost a decade now um, where, you know, I get to join other members of the, and they don't have to have, even a lot of the folks hadn't even played at Penn. They just were just people who were really passionate about the Penn football program, but it's been really exciting to be a part of that and watching the program develop um, you know, seeing the Ivy League come to a level of, of some prominence, right? When you look at the number of Ivy League players on rosters these days and making contributions, you have people like Kevin Stefanski as a head coach now, um, you know, people who have connections to the program and to the Ivy League. I mean, don't quote me on this, but I think it was either two or three years ago where for the first time at a training camp, every Penn or every Ivy League school was represented in an NFL training camp, which was, yeah, you go back 20 years, that's unheard of, that's right? Awesome. You were lucky if you had a couple of players that were able to come through the program and then, or come through the Ivy League and be able to, you know, attach to a roster in some way, some form or fashion. So it really, really has come a long way from a competition perspective. And, you know, one of the things I think that has helped promote that is, the fact that you're finding a lot of players now in college, number one, you know, no, just not to, you know, to brag on our school or anything, but, you know, they want to go to a school that is, has, a, has, you know, you can get an elite education and still play really competitive football. So there's, there's a, um, you know, there's, a, there's a, an attraction to that. But the thing I think that has helped promote it is a lot of players now, you know, whether, you know, if you're going to go to Alabama, you're probably not going to play in the Ivy League, right? If you're going to be a big-time SEC player, you're probably going to go to the SEC. But I think there's a lot of football out there where 
you know, players who would have gone and maybe taken a shot at being a second string player at the next level down of division one, a football, they're looking at and saying, my gosh, wouldn't I rather, would I rather be one of two or three second team or first team all state or all American players and go back up another all American player at another mid-level division one school or would I rather go to the Ivy League or what Vahe and I would call the old Patriot League or the Yankee Conference, right? You know, different names now. Wouldn't I rather go there and make an impact and actually play some football, get a great education, and still have a shot at the NFL? Because if, if I'm good enough, they're going to find me. And, and I think a lot of people are taking that stand. I think that's why a lot of your mid-level – and, you know, 1A schools and then your 1AA schools, you know, FCS versus FBS. I think that's why you're seeing a more spread out talent pool and you're seeing a more competitive game when, you know, an Appalachian State at the time beat a Michigan. Right. Because they were attracting those kind of players. So I know I went on a little bit of a diatribe there, but, you know, I think that's one of the powers of the Ivy League and, and one of the, the really the attractions to it. Um, you know, and to be able to, to get a little bit of the best of both worlds, which is, which is kind of exciting. How do you, do you often, uh, do you go to several games a year and, you know, do you keep yourself pretty composed in the sideline there? You know, are you able to keep yourself I, on an even keel or what's the atmosphere like? I definitely, since I had a couple of, you know, my daughter, a couple of my daughters, you know, just graduated not too long ago. I had to at least maintain some semblance of composure because I didn't want to embarrass them. <laughs> but, uh, but no, yeah, I'll, I'll make at least, you know, I'll make at least four of the five home games, oh, you know, wow. awesome. um, you know, sometimes there's just schedule conflicts and, you know, with the kids or whatever, the, the, you know, they had to do, especially when my one daughter was playing college sports, it was hard to, to manage and juggle, but, you know, I always try to get to, uh, that and maybe get to an, an away game. And, and Vahe, you, you are in luck. I mean, that Eagles game uh, that the Chiefs are coming into town for on, on October the 3rd, they actually just moved the Penn game to Friday night. So they're going to be playing Dartmouth on Friday night, October 1st, under the lights, and it's going to be on ESPNU. So uh, that, should be a, that should be a really nice event. And that would be a really nice weekend if you can make it in for that. Yeah, that, that's uh... – that's going on the front burner. I, I, I'm going to do my darndest. That'll, that'll be, that'll be great. Um, and I probably need to get down to uh, Smokey Joe's. No. Oh, 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 to, oh, to big, oh, to big, big Charlie. I'm sorry. To, to yeah, big Charlie. To big Charlie. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I got in there last time that the chiefs played out there and it was, it was amazing. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll have to check that out. Hey, I want to go back to one thing real quick, just to, I have a sort of a statement and a question, I guess. Um, I wonder when the peak of Ivy League presence in pro football was, and I suppose it would probably have been 40s or 50s, mm -hmm. right? When, mm -hmm. when, you know, the Ivy League still was walking the land with giants. I mean, it just, it just was that way. And I, I don't know what my broader point is on that, but it, it somehow, I think, connects in an interesting way to the very reasons you said, Joe, but now I'm also wondering, I don't know what the Ivy League policy is going to be on NIL. And oh. I, don't, I don't know what the implications are there and how that plays into the bigger picture that you were describing, Joe. It's really interesting. And I, I just haven't studied it yet. Yeah, I haven't really taken the time to do that either, Vahe. And, I, you know, I've been on, you know, kind of both sides of the fence on that whole, you know, should players be paid? And, you know, I think – to, to me, I, I think this is a really good compromise. Uh, 
you know, I think this is a really good opportunity for college players to no different than if somebody wanted, wants to start a side business in college, right? Like is, there's nothing that says when you're in college majoring in business that you can't go start a painting company or a tech totally. company or whatever. So what, why can't players capitalize on, you know, their both athletic prowess, the academic institution that they're kind of pouring themselves into, right? And then pulling out an education from, onto something that is tangentially related. Now, I'm not a big proponent of actually players being paid to play, right? Like, I feel that college should still be the place where you go to get an education, participate in sports as an extracurricular. If getting a scholarship means you can attract, you know, players that can come and, and, and make it a vibrant and robust athletic environment for the whole student body, I'm all for that. You know, I'm all for the scholarship but as far as like getting paid to play, I think that's where I was, I was drawing the line. And I think this NIL concept, right, is, is something that name, image, and likeness is a really nice compromise that allows a player who is pouring themselves into that university and help funding a lot of stuff that's going on at the school by lending, you know, uh, if you can lend your, their name or likeness to something and, and get rewarded for it. I don't see that any different than you know, an entrepreneurial student in the Wharton school that goes off and starts a tech company while he's a junior, you know, or gets yeah. a paid, in, it gets a paid internship, you know, through a co-op, um, you know, so I, I think this is a really nice uh, way and, and how the Ivies do it. It is going to be interesting by to see how they, because they're always seem to be on some kind of a lagging tail of the whole, you know, the fact that, you know, the Ivies in, in football don't go to the playoffs, which is, you know, which has always been a little bit of a, a bugaboo for me. You know, this, this may have happened later. I can't remember, but my senior year, we were initially supposed to play Harvard in Tokyo. And um, it ultimately got shot down because of uh, commercialism. <laughs> I think that was, the, that was how it was put. So that kind of speaks to your point, uh, Joe, about the lagging tail. I mean, I think we could have made a case there was some educational opportunity to be had in a trip like that. Sure. I, I knew a lot of players that played. I had the opportunity to go play in, in um, where they, when they put together, they were putting together an, an, an all Ivy league team to go over and play in Japan to play students from Japan. And I thought that was so cool. I, I didn't go because I was just afraid I had, you know, kind of the, the, the NFL breathing down my neck as far as that, or I absolutely would have gone because some of the, my friends had great, they made some great memories and it's a shame that it took that long and you know, that you, you didn't get a chance to go, you know, beat the crimson and, and, and show, 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 show the, uh, you know, the Eastern Asian part of the world, but to show them, you know, exactly, you know, how, how Quakers can, can, uh, you, you can always tell a Harvard man, you just can't tell them much, Jeff. <laughs> I can't believe I literally was just, I was waiting to get that out. That was a, from coach Tafiri. Absolutely. <laughs> you can always tell a Harvard man, but you can't tell him much. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. You know, and, and Penn actually a couple years ago for just an exhibition uh, played in China where, where the uh, NFL is trying to make a, a football and had a really good experience. I remember that now. Yeah. And I, I think there was a pretty great thing on it in the Pennsylvania Gazette, as I recall. Uh, and anyway, neither here nor there now, but it's just interesting the whole, whole way it's evolving. Um, to very interesting stuff there. And that was, I'm really glad you mentioned that point, uh, Vahe. And as we circle back here for our last uh, 
kind of segment to the Chiefs. But hey, what, what's your expectation for this team? And what's kind of just having covered a little bit of their offseason, what's, what's the vibe there? Is still, you know, are you still thinking Super Bowl, Super Bowl champions? What, what's the expectation? Well, it's kind of funny because for 50 years that, that the Super Bowl hope was, uh, you know, elusive. And now in the Mahomes era, you know, they've been to the Final Four all three seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you could make a case that this season's greatest parallel with recent past is Mahomes' first starting season when they blew up the defense after the year and just made the determination that that was the sort of dynamic change they needed. And in this case, of course, we're, we're talking about that kind of, that kind of uh, reinvention of the offensive line. And I think, you know, there's a lot of variables there. There's some X factors. On the other hand, I feel like Brett Veach has certainly earned, uh, earned a reputation of being a, a, a tremendous personnel man. And I, I think there may be some early growing pains that we haven't seen um, out of the, the recent Chiefs. You know, maybe a couple of games to get, get that together. Joe, you can speak to that better than I can, what it takes to get a new group of guys together. But it's, that's going to be a pretty, pretty uh, uh, fascinating thing to follow. Yeah, it's a tall order. I mean, Jeff and I talk about it all the time. If there's one group uh, you know, on the team that chemistry is probably, you know, I know there's a lot of timing things that receivers and quarterbacks need to have and the mesh with the court, the quarterback and the, and the running backs and handoffs, but there's some very minute, like, you know, a lot of minutia there in the, in that timing, but there is nothing like getting five players together to play with perfect synch- synchronicity and to get them together. And, you know, God rest his soul. We lost Alex Gibbs, you know, fantastic line coach uh, and and one of my all-time great mentors, someone that Al, uh, Jeff and I talk about Alex all the time on the podcast and what he meant to me as a coach. And he was like the one that really started that whole thing. You know, if you go back and you Google his his background and all the things that he did, it was that getting five players to work big picture across the whole line. And that's the way that offensive line play has gone. So, Bahi, I couldn't agree with you more. It's going to be a tall order. While they've got some great talent at each and every one of those positions, the, the real challenge is for Andy Heck and Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid to get those five to mash together and put the best five out there on the field together and, and work the best together. Well, well, well said, Joe. Well, Vahe, thanks. Again, we we're here with Vahe Gregorian. You can read his columns in the Kansas City Star. Does great work there, not only the Chiefs, but the whole sports landscape in, in Kansas City. Vahe, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Yeah, what, five-time Missouri sports writer of the year? Vahe, am I correct in that? Is it five, six, seven? How many we got these days? Come on, brag, us, brag on us a little bit. Did- just keep going. We'll figure out what the number is. Okay. Uh, no, <laughs> no, but you, no, no, it's, it is awesome to have you on. Yeah, great to be with you guys. And, and really, it's great. Uh, where, where else can you get the kind of combo of Chiefs and Penn stuff that, that, that the public is clamoring for? It's a real <laughs> exactly. niche there. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's, go, let's go all the way back to Delaware County, too. So, you know, let's, let's take it even – and let's take it back to Swarthmore. So, because, you know, while, while, while Vahe and I went to rival high schools, which, you know, Vahe went to Swarthmore High School, which, which the, was the predecessor to a combination became Strathaven High School, which 
in its day was a Pennsylvania football powerhouse, state championships ad nauseum. Um, you know, and we were right there. So my actual zip code growing up, even though I went to Ridley High School, um, rival high schools with Vahe was was Swarthmore. So uh, many many a, a summer day swimming in the Crumb Creek there, right off of Swarthmore College's campus. Well, so you, well, is that well, a 19081? One one nine oh eight one five four four was our exchange, so you know <laughs> ki four. There you go, Vahi. <laughs> ki four. <laughs> well, great stuff, guys. Well, if you enjoy listening to this show presented by Bet Online, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories: iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.